Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Today's show is brought to you by the 100% electric Nissan Leaf, Ireland's best-selling electric car that could save your family thousands every year. Visit evsavings.ie to see how much you can save by switching to 100% electric Nissan Leaf today. Nissan, innovation that excites. You only get tested maybe this level once in four years, you know what I mean? You've got a balls to kick them. So England in possession, not much of the ball at all. it away again! Toby Flood Don't this is not soccer. This is not soccer. Because in either game, life or rugby, the margin for error is so small. Hello and welcome to a special Irish Examiner Rugby World Cup podcast in association with Nissan. Two Irish rugby legends with me today, Donal Lenehan and Ronan O'Gara. They're like ships passing in the night. Ronan O'Gara is home for a brief visit. Donald Lenehan has his suitcase packed here beside him and he's heading off to Japan in the morning. We said we'd take a quick opportunity, lads, to get you to sit down. Donald, in Friday's Rugby World Cup magazine, which we are producing for the Irish Examiner, you seem to be indicating that the opening weekend game between the Springboks and the All Blacks, we may actually be revisiting it for the World Cup final. Is that how you see it? Yeah, I think there's every possibility that that'll happen. Um, it's an incredible game to open the World Cup weekend, New Zealand, South Africa. Um, I think they have five World Cups between them. Uh, they've, South Africa, probably the most uh, improved international side over the course of the last 18 months. So it's a fascinating contest. You wonder how um, both camps will approach it and, and Raj will be able to give us a, a better insight into New Zealand, having just come back from there over the past few months. But, um, yeah, looking at the way the permutations go, you know, we're all talking our pool about, uh, you know, if Ireland come first, is it South Africa or New Zealand they're playing? Given the way things have progressed over the past 12 months, I'm not so sure there's a massive difference between who you'd want to play at this stage. And looking at the way the draw will uh, pan out, um, there's every possibility that New Zealand and South Africa could not only open the tournament, but they could close it on the four, on the 2nd of November. Because the perception seems to be that New Zealand have dropped a little, Raj, and South Africa are on the rise. Have New Zealand, are they 5 or 10% off where they were maybe 18 months ago? And I think that's... No, I would say probably more when they were off 18 months ago. I think they've... Um, they definitely had a decline, but I think there has been a little bit of a resurgence and uh, I think what the massive advantage they have over any other nation is they know how to time their run for World Cups. Mm-hmm. They're experts in that over the last uh, two campaigns, obviously, and this would be historic if they were to win it for three times in a row. So they have the big advantage of that. I think having spent time down there, uh, they put such um, value on, on the process and on the... Um, the kind of 
enjoyment factor and getting the week right in preparation. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes, even when there is so much um, so-called pressure around. These guys, uh, if a super rugby is anything to go by, their preparation is fascinating. And the fact that even three hours before games, they're as chilled and as relaxed as it could be. And then the minute they kind of uh, cross the whitewash... Um, everything changes but that's down to I suppose a really trusted mental preparation mm. if, the, if New Zealand Raj were to actually lose tomorrow to South Africa how much though does that ratchet up the pressure on the group or are they still as you say comfortable enough that they'll travel the road that they're taking yeah I think so and as Donald said I think South Africa and New Zealand um, know that they have a quarter final and whether it's Ireland or Scotland or Japan from their point of view that's the game uh, that they're going to really focus on I don't think as Donald said is there much of a difference for New Zealand to play Scotland or is it to play Ireland uh, in their quarter final or South Africa to play Ireland or Scotland Sure. so I think what they do is that they concentrate on themselves Yeah I think the interesting thing though is if, if New Zealand for argument's sake if they lost to South Africa tomorrow They'll go down a route that could put them head to head with New Zealand or with England in a quarter final, which would be in a semi final or in a semi final. Yeah. Sorry, which yeah. would be pretty interesting. Um, no, I don't think New Zealand would be quaking in their boots at that prospect. Mm. And that's the thing about New Zealand. Um, you know, having watched them during the summer or the winter as it was down there, that they got spanked by Australia one Saturday, turned it around the following week as they generally do. Um, the South African game I thought in Wellington was a really interesting game and in that uh, New Zealand uh, they were on the back foot in terms of the defensive uh, intensity that South Africa brought to that game but I think New Zealand having, having had experiences like that and they don't get them too often they generally learn from them and uh, so I think it'll be interesting to see tomorrow how they react to the type of defensive pressure that South Africa had managed to put on them during the rugby championship. You rarely see New Zealand falling into the same uh, trap too often. Let's forget the actual world rankings for the moment, you know, which of Ireland had won. Um, Waste of time. New Zealand are, we are, everybody's saying, New Zealand are number one. But Donald, who is number two in the tournament for you? Well, South Africa, I think. New More than New England? Yeah, definitely. Given the way they're playing at the moment. England, like you go back to the Six Nations. Um, in fact, I was only kind of looking through that England-Scotland game in the Six Nations. If you remember, England were 30 points up at one stage. Sure. They ended up scraping a draw at the end. England, um, looking at them in the warm-up games, they look incredibly powerful. Uh, to be fair to Eddie Jones, I think he has them hitting their peak at the right time. But for me, the question mark with England isn't so much their physical prowess. It's what happens in a tight game when the mental pressure comes on. That's what happened in the Six Nations. We've seen numerous examples in the past where they haven't been able to cope with that. So that question mark is still there in my mind. Mm. If, if, if it was a physical battle, um, then I'd fancy England against anyone. I mean, Maru Atoja, uh, Cruz in the second row, Billy Vunapola is almost unplayable. Um, the problem for England, uh, I, well, not the problem, but the issues they've had over the past two, three years, they haven't, certainly believe Vunapola and Mano Tualagi haven't been on the team at the same time. And it gives them so many options and pressure defensively. And Raju, as a defence coach, um, will appreciate that there's, there's so many people that you have to target uh, in terms of, of, of your defence that it creates so much opportunities for other people on your team. 
Yeah, it's just interesting, Dawn's point. I think we even saw that in the World Cup and other so-called warmers, but um, England doing a number um, comprehensively in Ireland and Twickenham, then their next game is in Newcastle on the, the Friday night. Um, Italy, was Italy, it? mm-hmm. yeah, and it's 6-0 after 45 minutes, and you just... Donald's point about that that mental side can they actually string it together when the pressure comes on like mm. I'd say such a big emphasis on beating Ireland even though it was a weakened Irish team we accept that but then to go up against Italy and they did struggle I think in a in a few aspects against they Italy also, they also they struggled uh, against Wales in Cardiff Wales beat them in Cardiff now I know they had made changes to their side and all that but uh, last year, it would have appeared that Eddie Jones had gone from the, the Ford Farrell axis in midfield. Now he seems to be back in that again. Mm. Uh, Slade was a huge influencer in there uh, from 13 for them, but now Tuilagi is there. So they have options. Now, they're good options to have, but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they progress. You, Raj, mentioned the mental side of things there, and I don't know why every time the mental and the psychology is mentioned in rugby terms, I always think of France. Because, you know, you just never know where they are, how brittle they are mentally, psychologically. Do they have the potential in the pool stage to take down England? No. No, I don't think. Maybe Argentina, but I don't think England. Why? I just think England are too smart for them. You look at that game in terms of uh, France have, I suppose, a a few weaknesses, which... One jumps to mind straight away the amount of kick space they left in their backfield in Twickenham, mm. uh, and England just brutally expo- exploited that space and, and and ridiculed France, and they just put up a cricket score against them. Yeah, um, I don't think they with Lopez or into Mac. I just don't think they have the general at ten to dismantle a team with either Ford or Farrell because. For me, Ford is probably one of the most improved players in the world in the last six months, and Farrell is. I think uh, hitting world class. Explain to me and to those who are listening why, with the vastness of their pick, with the size of the country, how France continually can't seem to get, as you said, a general at 10. Why is that? I think, yeah, it may may be changing now. There's a few good young French players coming up, but like anyone who understands Test Rugby, you kind of... Zero to five caps are a blur. Five to ten, you're starting to get a little bit of a groove, and then ten to twenty, you can try and hide a bit of form. But mm. like that's what happens. But should they change the half back position as frequently as they change the number ten position? There's guys, you know I mean that Rory Cockett would be going to the World Cup with with anyone in the world, but he decided to declare for France, and now he's out in the call. But he's an exceptional rugby player. Um, so they have so much choice but like they're loaded in a lot of positions but also I suppose their technical expertise in terms of uh, a lot of the years in coaching in top 14 it's it's scrum line out maul kick and they're only bringing one 10 to Japan well, one no. out and out 10 well like they have Ramos and they have Intimax so in their regard they're two 10s for Toulouse yeah so I've seen Ramos play uh, <laughs> Champions <laughs> Cup rugby for uh, for for Toulouse. If they're picking him at ten, they can forget it. Really? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, no, I I I thought I saw a couple of green shoots in some of the warm up games with France in terms of they looked incredibly fit, they looked mm. uh, sharp, they looked stronger than I've seen them for a while. And I always felt with France, and you'd know this from from top fourteen. When you see them playing in the November internationals, a lot of the time they look really sharp, really good. But then, uh, whether it's the um, 
the nature of the Pro 14 and the hard grind by the time they get to the Six Nations they're always hanging in mm-hmm. there's a lot of good young players in that French setup at the moment um, and it, it strikes me that maybe you know they've been two or three months together they look as if they're, they're, they're a happy bunch as if there's a good atmosphere within their group um, and I just saw green shoots as I say in those warm up games I agree with Raj wholeheartedly I don't see them beating England mm. but I wouldn't have seen them beating Argentina six months ago whereas now I actually fancy them to come out of the pool uh, ahead of Argentina when I say I fancy them that's based on what I've seen in warm up games the reality of what happens in tournament rugby is far different so it'll be interesting to see if those little chinks of light that I, I thought I spotted mm. will be carried into the tournament and they will be unrecognisable there's a good buzz in the French squad players are impressed with with Galtier they've changed their kind of a, a strength and conditioning coach uh, they are fitter I think the training they've been doing with the ball and the drills and the exercise and their game plan uh, the feedback has been very positive so they will be um hugely removed from the France of the past there is mm. absolutely no doubt about that and if there is a nation be it in soccer or rugby when momentum is with them they are extremely dangerous because the guys can play you get the ball to Penno and he can win a, ga- a game on his own if Fafana is on a go on day he is really interesting up front they have a few big units that will be fit uh, but it, I think a lot of it comes down to actually um, buying into their game plan because under Galtier he's, he's a really uh I think guys, uh, you know, I mean, Juan Mar- Martin Hernandez has come out and said, yeah, he's the best coach that he's played under. So he's played under a lot of coaches, and mm. he's an exceptional player. So I think from that point of view, they have a they have a uh, a, a good opportunity to sh- to put their best foot forward, which in the past they hadn't because there was um, they didn't believe in their coaches. Mm. And just on that point, tomorrow, you know, you're talking about New Zealand, South Africa. Three hours before that game, France play Argentina. So that's another one that people, you know, on the opening weekend, uh, you have three tier one nations or three matches where there are tier one teams playing, Ireland, Scotland being the third one. Yeah. So it's an incredible opening weekend from that point of view. And I'm, I, would I be right only in actually suggesting the loser really of that France-Argentina game, given that the other big hitter is England, is really pretty much out? Yeah, I would think so. Um, as I say, I think England are strong enough to beat both those teams. Mm. So therefore, uh, you're struggling. Like I mean, there is there's the bonus point system and all that in the other games. But you know, when you look at the other uh, teams in that USA and Tonga, I mean, they're going to get a tonking either mm. way. Right. Even though you go back to 2011 and uh, Tonga beat France in the World Cup, but haven't seen New Zealand put 94 on the there uh, last weekend. The question, Raj, that I asked Donald earlier, we all agree New Zealand are one. I, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, for me, what big backline will New Zealand pick? There's five positions up for grabs that never in the history of the World Cup for New Zealand have they had such an unsettled Go on, backline. fill us in. Well, who will they play 10? Who will they play 12? Who will they play 13? Well, it's not that they don't have options there. It's just uh, well, where exactly, they play them. But they have so much options, but sometimes... Dawn says when you hit that pressure moment and you might only hit it twice in a World Cup campaign mm-hmm. you need to really have trust in the guy next to you but like Severis for all his potential hasn't been w- this will be another step up for him can he handle it uh, I know from his character George Bridge would be able to handle it but will they pick him ahead of Ricky Ioni who will they play 15 who will they play 15 well I presume they play Ben Smith but 
Well, that's the interesting conundrum. We'll talk about that, but I just want to say, because you said New Zealand, but you said if New Zealand are number one, who are number two? So are you, are you saying, no, you are not picking New Zealand? Who, who is I, your number one? I would say South Africa at this point. Really? Yes. Are you both saying that? So are you saying, are you not giving your beloved All Blacks number one ranking in this World Cup? Do I think they'll win it? Yeah. Um... I'd have to see the New Zealand South Africa game. Mm, that's a bit. That's interesting because. Well, it is. I mean, it's something that, um, uh, like Raj, will know intimately. New Zealand. I've never seen New Zealand going into a World Cup where, like, you've George Bridge and and Reese, as he says on the wings. You've the Richie Moanga, uh, Borden Barrett, ten, fifteen. They've been experimenting on that. You know, it's it's looked reasonably good in some games. Uh, I thought the opening game against South Africa, the one that they drew, Moanga struggled at ten that day. Um, it's a question then that if you're if you're struggling, how many and, and the opposition aren't kicking the ball to you, how much can Barrett influence the game from fifteen as he could from ten? In other words, he'd have more possession, possessions as a ten that he would in a fifteen, and the and the opposition control that because mm. the last thing you'd want to do is kick or play Bowden Barrett into the game from the back three plus also too I think people won't appreciate the difference in playing styles between the Northern and Southern Hemisphere teams mm. it, like it's all out attack in Super Rugby the Four Nations because it was warm up games before the World Cup it was all out attack South Africa's defence was good but like New Zealand was at 48 points they conceded against Australia it, like mm -hmm. for an England or an Irish or a Welsh team to do that against Australia is unheard of mm -hmm there would be talks for fellas to lose their job as a result of that one scoreline alone so but but isn't that what makes this World Cup so much different like certainly New Zealand were nailed on in 2011 given that or sorry in 2015 2011 playing at home they almost blew it but that was the pressure not having won it for so long um, there is a mix of styles now and there are so many Southern Hemisphere players that have come up and are playing in the Champions Cup and all of a sudden you're looking at these fellas and you're saying, well, look, they're good, but they're not Absolutely. superstars. Yeah. You know? You've I said that. Of yeah. course, yeah. And it only yeah. makes a good point too. Also, the fact that like, the, the surface and the stadia and the conditions are going to have a huge impact. Mm. If there's high humidity, dehydration, injuries, uh, Eddie Jones for his finishers, people coming off the bench, it's going to be a 23-man game because even, as we know, like if Ireland are to go at a distance, it's unrealistic that Sexton would probably play... 80 80 80 it's unheard of even of six nations so like that puts a massive focus on who's going to drive that ship for ireland mm. then you're looking at um you know i mean for the other teams from new zealand's point of view how do they load their bench england's point of view i think it's a big force of theirs i'm sorry big strength i'm using french words big force <laughs> a big strength of theirs so uh, south africa have a settled team wales have a settled team bar 10 but well, no, you've led me beautifully on because I was actually going to Donald bring up Warren Gatland and Wales again. Strike me as the side you would least want to play if you had any sense of brittleness about your confidence in a World Cup. I, they strike me as a side that is mentally so robust. Yeah, they're incredible because when you look at the individuals that make, you know, they have a number of real quality players. You know, your your Jonathan Davis, your Liam Williams for me at fullback, I think is the best fullback in the world. George North is rediscovering form. But you look at their forwards. Their forwards, Alan Wynne-Jones apart, 
like there's no kind of superstar there. Uh, the back row, very good individual players, but they've lost the likes of Talupa Falato and Sam Warburton over the last 18 months. Now, you fellas like Josh Navidi, who we've seen play Pro 14 rugby for the past number of years, he's a very good player. Is he good enough to be, like, you must have a dominant back row mm. to win a World Cup? Uh, but that comes back for me to Gatland. I've always been an admirer of Gatland. He has always got more out of less. He creates the right environment. Um, he has backed everything on, on the physicality of Wales and their fitness and their strength. And the one plus that they might have coming into this World Cup, their work rate is incredible. Defensively, they're so well organised. And, and Raj made the point about humidity and all that. There will be a lot of mistakes, a lot of handling mistakes. Mm. All of a sudden, the type of line pressure that they put on you in defence, that creates mistakes. Mm. Penalties come from that. They have Lee Halfpenny kicking. They have like Dan Bigger. Gareth Anscombe was sort of earmarked as their starting 10, but I've always been a fan of Dan Bigger. And I I, I really love his mental toughness in terms of uh, Anscombe was earmarked as the starting 10. He got in- injured in their first warm-up game against England. The following weekend, they played England in Cardiff. He was handed the number 10 jersey and was told, OK, make this position your own for the World Cup. Bigger. Uh, bigger. Yeah. Now that Anscombe is gone, he gave a man-of-the-match performance. And no, whether he'll be good enough to lead them the whole way, I'm not so sure in that. Every World Cup that I have seen, the team that wins it have outstanding halfbacks. Mm. Uh, Gareth Davis at scrum half, I think he's a really good player as well. But I'm not so sure their, their forwards are going to be strong enough to compete against the really top teams. But they will be a horrible team to play against. Roger, if I can just move it on, because we want to finish with the Ireland-Scotland issue. Australia, I mean, again, what a conundrum. They seem, again, to be getting their stuff back together. Um, What kind of state are they going to Japan in? Yeah, it's a good question. I think with Cheka, though, you can be damn sure they'll be good. Mm. Like, for him, if they don't reach the semi-final, it'll be an underachievement. Um, The guy's a competitor, and I think... I think he has about 20 really good players. I don't know as if 31 really good players, but I think 20 of them, uh, the Australian franchises are in dire state, straits. There's not, mm. there's no buzz about Australian rugby union. It's struggling big time. Attendances are struggling and Super Rugby model isn't in good shape. Um, but then the national team has come back and uh, yeah, they did beat New Zealand. As Don said then, New Zealand got their revenge, but that was um, all that's going to happen, I think. So, they have uh, an awful lot of strike power. If they're accurate in their game, I think they're a handful for everyone because the one thing you know from Australia is they'll always have um, a great amount of set plays, strike plays. Mm. But their their problem is, can they get the kind of can the pl- the backs get a platform from their front five? Uh, their back row is brilliant, I find, um, but. Um, they have a lot of obviously competition at nine. Everyone thought that Guinea was a shoo-in. Um and now um, they have um, a big uh, a big decision to make about who will play nine for them, hmm. and, and and possibly ten. In that Leo Lafana came into the side, like uh, Bernard Foley has been their out half for the past five, six, seven years. Now all of a sudden. Christian Leo Lefano, incredibly, he had leukemia, was out of rugby for a year, was sent up to Ulster to try and, and get back playing during the off-season, had a really good uh, 
five months cameo in Ulster went back to the Brumbies played well and all of a sudden he finds himself at the starting out half for Australia mm. it's an incredible story but again um, you know uncertainty as to who your best halfbacks are I was in Australia last year for the three test series um, I have to say I, uh, you know the, 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 there is strike power in that back line but they seem just like a piece of chess they keep on moving all the players around and not but, into the right spots always yeah, well, like, you look at a fellow like Curtly Beale he's an unbelievable player he can do fantastic things but he's now nearly 30 and nobody knows what his best position is the only thing um, and Raj I'd be interested in your view on this they have revamped their midfield with uh, Karevi and James O'Connor the bad boy of Australian rugby was banished for the 5-6 years He's now back in the fold. They put him in a 13 and from a, an attacking perspective, I thought they looked more dangerous with that midfield combination than they had um, earlier on in the tournaments. Yeah, I I was shocked when I saw it because I had to double check. Is that the same James O'Connor that I was down in Toulon? And it is and he's been obviously given another chance, a big chance to resurrect his career and show what he can Suffice do. Suffice to say, stage. you didn't think he was great in no, Toulon? No, I didn't, no. Um, but uh, everyone deserves a second chance and he's gone out to um, redeem himself because he's made a few errors off the pitch but that's that's no Remind uh, everybody if Australia win that pool and obviously the Australia uh, Wales game Donald is the pivotal game who do they get in the quarter final what's their route well, like if to Australia the top the pool they'll, they'll play second in pool C which will be France or Argentina ok um, so you, you could know, be I, look, yeah. yeah I mean if it was I think Australia would fancy their chances there. But I think that, that Wales-Australia game is going to be really interesting. Mm. Like Wales couldn't beat Australia for love nor money for years. Even though they were flying, they were the one mm. bogey team. They Now, they found a way, I think, in the last 12 months they, they had success. But you flip that on the other side, Australia will feel that every time they play Wales, that they're capable of beating them. It seems to me, lads, that the one thing, the, the, the common denominator in everything you're saying is timing Raj is actually getting your timing right for this World Cup in terms of Ireland certainly a couple of weeks ago it looked like our timing was seriously and dangerously off is everything now back on track on the basis of one warm up game at the Aviva Stadium well it's a lot more back on track than it was prior to Wales because we were desperate and I think what that performance shows that there's a good bit of bite about this Irish team. There's a bit of battle about this Irish team because, let's face it, that Friday before the Wales game, um, there was doom and gloom all over the country and weren't too sure a lot of people were talking up Wales to come over and beat Ireland. Mm. But uh, I think the Irish team would have got a huge confidence, not from the result, but from the performance. Donald talked about the Wales 8 uh, up front and I don't think they could handle Ireland's power game when Ireland got into the Wales 22 I think uh, you saw after a, a number of um, phases that they were just like, uh, they couldn't handle the likes of Furlong when he actually struck on the ball and got his timing well. And that, uh, James Ryan, for example, people like that, I think when they kind of get their nose through the defenders, we are a very different team. Mm. But if against England, we couldn't find that because um, the ball was slowed down and a little half a second makes a massive difference. But we were winning collisions against... Wales, which we weren't against England in not in Twickenham but in the Aviva at the start of the Six Nations. So, uh, I think from a confidence point of view, or from a kind of a jostling point of view, Ireland shaping up to Wales, Ireland would feel that they have the upper hand on them. I don't think um, mm. 
they would be too worried about that. As opposed to Ireland against England, you'd have to say that England probably hold a mental advantage over Ireland at this current point. We're hearing, Donald, this week, and obviously it will be confirmed uh, quite shortly. I mean, obviously, Robbie Henshaw is definitely out of Sunday. And Rob Carney now looks like he's in trouble. A calf injury, as you both know, like is not something that you can play through. Donald wouldn't know much about that. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Is it, you know, is are those kind of things that can knock you off? Well, you see, you're looking at the Irish squad now. Joey Cabri uh, hasn't played for since that Italian match, um, God, back in the 4th of August. And, you know, he had a lot of injury in the second half of last season. Keith Earls has been struggling with an injury. We don't know just how fit he is. Uh, Rob, Robbie Henshaw, who I thought was superb in the game against Wales, not available for selection. No, you're talking about Rob Cairn. We only have 14 backs out there. You're going to start seven and have three on the bench. So that means if all four of them are in trouble, you're, you're, it's, it's the, the last 10 fellas standing before you've even played a game will be on the, in the match day 23. That's worrying. That is worrying. And that's before we've played a match. Um, it's, it, it, it is a concern. Like For me, I, I just feel so sorry for Robbie Henshaw. He's a player I really admire. Uh, he's had a horrific run of injuries. I thought he was superb, as I say, against Wales. People have been writing off Rob Carney for a long time, but you look at the difference he made to the Irish setup when he came back in against uh, against Wales. It was one time early on in the game when you know Wales forced a two-on-two off a scrum. Keith Earls was having to turn the ball as chipped in behind. Carney's positional sense and just rugby know-how at this stage of his career, he had covered 50 yards to, to save a certain try. Does Jordan Larmer have that if he fits in at 15? I don't think so. Personally, I just don't understand, and I, I put it back on Munster, how Andrew Conway wasn't played a full back last year at any stage during the uh, during uh, the, the pro four. Well, not at, he played once or twice, but I would have seen him as a contender for Ireland at full back. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. As I say, right now we're not 100% sure where all these injuries are, but it's not an ideal position to be in. You're building up to a huge game, and all around you fellas are... You know, worried about key players. You are you thinking the same? Are you, if you are coaching that, and as I said, you're down to ten backs. Are you beginning to see, you know, a kind of a fraught sense around the place, like of concern and worry, which we thought we'd got rid of by beating Wales? Yeah, um, I suppose I'd flip it on its head, and I wonder sometimes why we wouldn't copy the Southern Hemisphere model of kind of playing all the way through. You look at Dawn's point, so you're going to have some key players that will have 60 minutes before the biggest game of their lives, essentially, in four in four years. Mm. So we were always um, fed the information that it takes you kind of four or five games to find your rhythm in a season, at least. Yeah, But I don't see that model being applied here. So but you kind of question it. To be fair, one... It a lot of that goes back to the timing of the World Cup itself and this is an argument I've had for years I remember having an argument with Joe Schmidt about it after uh, the 2015 World Cup there's no doubt in my mind that the Southern Hemisphere teams because the World Cup is on in September are far more battle-hardened battle-hard, the, the Rugby Championship is way more competitive than the warm-up games that we've seen up here you're like a, a, a student cramming for an exam 
mm. you you don't play a match since last May. Of course, your training and, and massive physical endurance work has same. been done, but it's, it's not no. the same. No. And the games that you play, the warm up games, there is no way even you can replicate in those that, uh, what you're going to have in, in in the World Cup. Um, and that is always a concern for me. Um, no, I think we're Scotland are in the same boat as we are. But there is no doubt that that is an advantage or a disadvantage that the Northern Hemisphere teams always carry into the tournament. Yeah, it is an interesting point, you know, because mm. it's even oh. if you're playing club games, you know, so the, like the New Zealand players would all have had successful campaigns with the Crusaders or or with Super Rugby, then they have a little bit of time off and then they're into uh, the four, four Nation Championship with it, then Rugby World Cup warm ups. But even the mentality, Raj, last weekend of a doubt emerges about Robbie Henshaw. Will Allison, who's played 50 minutes of rugby, I think, since last January, was set to start for Ulster against Glasgow in a friendly, and he was pulled out of the game because there was a doubt about Robbie Henshaw. Surely, by the God, they'd be far better off allowing him play the match so that he gets a ga- another game under his belt. But mm. the flip side of that, then, is that surely, be to God, he goes out and he gets injured, and you go, what kind of oh, <laughs> yeah, planning well. process is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I get it, but both ways you're kind of goose there. has Finn Russell Raj been playing like in other words given the fact that he's at Racing will, ha, has he been playing in this uh, top 14 season has he had competitive games that will give him some kind of an advantage on Sunday no I don't think so I wouldn't no he'd have been with the Scotland like when you're released for the whole summer you're not part of the okay. any domestic competition so he would have been with Scotland since last June. Yeah. So he's been party. But he is. I mean, don't. And I mean, our Rod, you'd know him obviously. I, I don't know where you involved in 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 signing mm. him at Racing, but he is one of those mercurial talents where you're never a hundred percent sure what you're going to get. But if you get hot, Russell, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think from his point of view, I don't think he's too sure either, which is kind of refreshing in this day and age. He kind of plays with a smile on his face, and he has a go. And probably helped them meet meeting uh, Zebo and Paris too because they've struck off a good relationship with each other and they kind of they play ad lib. Uh, there aren't many people like that playing the game, especially at that level. But you saw his pass against England. Uh, I don't know, was it a season or two ago when he just ripped it? And uh, the downside of that is that they got caught against uh, France within four minutes and Pino intercepted him in the World Cup warm up. So um, yeah, I think. Scotland with Finn Russell at 9 out of cha- 10 performance have a big chance but the other flip side of that if you pressurise him he can hit a 4 mm. you know what I mean Johnny and a bad they will have a 7 first weekend there's no point lads just to finish in, in throwing you trying to throw you forward to November 2nd so let's just keep it at this weekend I'm presuming I don't need to ask you because you're go- both going to say that Ireland will beat Scotland but I'm more intrigued almost that are you both saying, or am I reading you incorrectly, that you think South Africa can beat, sorry, will beat New Zealand? I wouldn't say will. I think uh, you look at the last three games they've played, points differential is one in New Zealand's favour. They've had two, a win each and a draw. Um, one by two points, one by one point mm. and a draw in Wellington. So that's how thin the gap has been there. Uh, I'd have to wait and see what the team is first. I mean, because of the issues that Raj has alluded to with the composition of their back line, I mean, do they put Barrett at back at, at 10? Do they bring uh, Ryan Crotty back into midfield? Do they put Ben Smith? That's sort of going back to what the tried and trusted that they had before. So it's, it's 
Uh, I'd still fancy New Zealand to win that game, but it's difficult to say without seeing the teams and the conditions. I know, for example, on Sunday, they're talking about uh, thunderstorms and lashing rain for the Ireland game. So, um, you know, it could be similar on Saturday. That changes the dynamic then because of the physicality that uh, South Africa bring, the line speed that we've spoken about, and the fact that their halfbacks are both, their kicking game is superb. Mm-hmm. So I think those type of conditions might suit South Africa better. I noticed, Raj, Warren Gatland has Wales training with a slippy ball deliberately for those kind of, you know, for those kind of conditions. So in terms of that New Zealand... Uh, South Africa game. I mean, are we talking about, you know, uncontrollables like that deciding the game or have you got a pretty definitive view on which way it'll go? I think New Zealand will beat South Africa this weekend. I just think they will. Um, and the interesting one for me is our, is the Ireland-Scotland game, depending on the next couple of hours, what we hear in terms of team selection. I think Scotland will be, be excited by a back three of uh, Stockdale, Larmer and um, probably Andrew Conway Andrew Conway yeah I, I think you mean excited as in they'll see vulnerability in yes I think they will yeah because it's uh, my gut I'm hearing rumours that they may start Conway at 15 ahead of Larmer which a few months ago you probably would have said it might have been the other way well, I would definitely pick it that way on the basis of... I, I just don't think Larmer looks comfortable at fullback. He started there in uh, autumn of last year against Argentina. Positionally, he looked out of sorts, wasn't convincing under the high ball. Um, again, he was. Uh, he played one of the... I think against Italy, he played fullback there, and I thought he just like a guy... He looked that day like somebody who didn't want to make mistakes, whereas... Yeah. Uh, every time he caught the ball, no, then, whether by instruction or not, he mm, just kicked it But then it the other side yards. of it too was his game in, in Chicago against Italy, remember? So yeah, yeah, yeah. We haven't rarely seen a performance like yeah. that from any back. That was Italy B stroke C. I Mirage. get you, but even you in know. terms of what he could do yeah, on his own, yeah. mm. there wasn't seen much him. against him, obviously. Yeah. But, but you, but you <laughs> haven't seen him doing that on the wing no, either. You no, know? you haven't, exactly. I just think that um, Conway, in fairness to him, is a battler and he's brave. I'm not saying that Larmer isn't, but like, you, you know, there's question marks probably around Stockdale's defending. The People are saying he was harsh on him against England, but the inside didn't do him any favours, but he himself didn't do himself any favours either. So there's two sides to that story. It wasn't all sure he had nothing to do because he couldn't do anything because there was poor decisions on his inside. Yes, there was, but he still has and to think why, on his own two feet. And mm. that's why having a fellow like Rob Carney at full back, who's literally coaching him as he's going along, he's shouting yeah. and roaring, telling him where to stand, telling him where to go. Is Jordan Larmer going to do that? Is Andrew Conway going to do that? Mm. No, I don't think they are. And that is why Rob Carney, with all the uh, you know people trying to get rid of him for years, that is why he brings so much to this team. Yeah, and also the fact that if there's a line break, all his teammates know that this guy will be chopped down. If that's a line break against Scotland, his teammates know that Stuart Hogg probably won't make the tackle. That's the difference between the two of them. Stuart Hogg would run rings around Kearney going forward, but you win World Cups on your defence. So people forget about that, that it's defence wins championships, defence wins World Cups. So um, it is an important aspect of the, of the, of the game. The Irish Examiner Rugby World Cup podcast with the Nissan Leaf, the world's best-selling electric vehicle. Book a test drive today at nissan.ie. Nissan. Innovation that excites.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.